Hello, and welcome back to the Think to Win podcast. We took a little break, but we are back today, and better than ever, I'm here as always with Sam Lucy. Hi, Sam. Hi, Burke. How are you today? Great. Uh, today, we also are here with David Meltzer. Hi, David. Hey, how are you? I am great. We're really excited to have you on today. Awesome. I look forward to it. Yeah, so we're not going to waste your time. We're just going to go ahead and get right into it. Why don't you tell us just real quick what you do and then explain your life mission to us because we really love it and it's really interesting. <laughs> Thank you. Well, uh, I am currently a speaker, author, entrepreneur. Uh, I am a producer of a couple of television shows. Uh, I have a top podcast in the world called uh, The Playbook, uh, which has millionaires, billionaires, entrepreneurs, celebrities, athletes, and entertainers from my previous employment, from being the CEO of the world's first smartphone to running the most notable sports agency in the world called Lee Steinberg Sports and Entertainment. Most people know Lee from the movie Jerry Maguire. Mm -hmm. I then partnered with Hall of Fame quarterback Warren Moon to create a marketing and media company surrounding the greatest events in sports like the Super Bowl, Pro Bowl, and even the Masters, Kentucky Derby, uh, of course, all the award shows, Grammys, ESPYs, Emmys, Oscars, and a ton of different events. The one component, the one consistent thing, and the reason I'm here is everything I do has to have a charitable purpose or cause tied to it, uh, which has led me to build a ton of content. I get my books for free, my guides for free, exercises. I do free trainings every Friday, specifically with one mission in mind to empower over a billion people to be happy, which I'm sure we'll get into in the interview of how we're going to do that and what uh, impact it's going to have uh, the simple idea of happiness. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. We, whenever we were looking through uh, your page and we saw that we were like, Oh wow, that's a really interesting goal. And uh, you know, our, Sam was just talking right before you got on about how he wants to Sam, what were you saying? Can you kind of describe what you were talking about? Uh, when Burke, what just before, just a few minutes ago, you were saying how you want to make people, you know, healthy, happy, you, oh, just how yeah. you align with that so closely. Well, well you know, you, you want to make a billion people happy, and it's kind of like it's, it's the same thing. I, I'd like to make a billion people uh, uh, healthy and wealthy, and happiness kind of follows that, you know. So uh, it seems that what, you're, what you want to accomplish and what I want to accomplish are in uh, total harmony, and I, I like that. Absolutely, and I think, you know, happiness is so closely tied to health. I always say that People right. that uh, aren't healthy, I'm sorry, people that are healthy have thousands of wishes. People that aren't healthy only have one wish. Mm -hmm. And so happiness, health, and wealth are also closely tied uh, right. and being able to create a mindset of finding light, love, and lessons and everything allows people to be consistent and persistent in their health, number one, and which leads, I think, happy, healthy people are wealthy people. Right. And that all goes together. You can have wealth without you know, health or happy too. You can, but what good is it? <laughs> you, got have, it. you have money and make you more miserable than uh, when you don't. That's, that's not good to have it. But uh, yeah, so I think we're hundred percent on the same wavelength. So David, tell us a little bit, you know, like how do you know if you're making progress on that goal? You know, it's so interesting because I think, there's three worlds of mindset and heart set. You know, the mindset is how we see things. The heart set is how we feel about them. And there's a collective consciousness of scarcity, of people who live in a world of not enough. They're victims. They're separate. They're always why me, why not me, instead of try me. 
And then there's another group, uh, which I evolved into. I was born into that world of not enough. I was had a single mom, six kids who worked two jobs, packed my dinner in a paper bag and uh, literally tr- filled up turnstiles at convenience stores with greeting cards just so we could eat. I was a millionaire right out of law school. And I lived in a world where I believed money bought love and happiness. I bought my mom a house and a car, paid off my law loans, ended up being a multimillionaire by the time I was 26. The first company I worked with sold for $3.4 billion in 1995. Uh, but the interesting thing about that was I believe money bought love and happiness, but I was shopping for the wrong things. If I wasn't happy, I'd buy things I didn't need. If I wasn't happy, I'd buy more things. If I wasn't happy, I'd buy different things. If I wasn't happy, I'd buy things to impress people. If I wasn't happy, I'd buy things to impress people I didn't even like. Uh, And where I learned there's a world uh, that receiving comes first, meaning I used to believe giving, uh, the more you gave, the more you receive. I actually now shifted my paradigm. I believe the more I receive, the more I can give. And you can't give what you don't have. So I actually shifted my faith to a world of more than enough, not a world of just enough or not enough, but a world where money still is important because, you know, as Sam said, you know, money will allow you to shop, but if you shop for the wrong things, you're not going to be happy. If you shop for the right things, the things that make you healthy and happy, the things that help other people to give back, to pay it forward, to build community centers, to educate children, to create health for not only yourself, but others, you'll be extremely happy. So money does play an important role. I trademarked one of my favorite sayings, which is make a lot of money to help a lot of people and have a lot of fun. I love very simple ways to create that. And so for me to quantify happiness, I'm looking for a thousand people like Sam, like Burke, like Arthur, that I know have a platform to empower another thousand people to empower another thousand people to be happy. If I can empower a thousand times a thousand, that's a million, a million times a thousand is a billion. I can create a collective consciousness of happiness. Now, here's the greatest thing about happiness. Number one, it's the most viral of all diseases ever created. It's the only disease you can literally share and catch by witnessing it. You don't even have to be in the same room. You, you can wear a spacesuit and you're not gonna protect yourself from happiness. It's gonna spread itself if you can witness it and feel it. Uh, It strengthens you mentally, physically, emotionally, financially. Uh, It even protects you against other viruses because it strengthens your immune system. So I picked on happiness for a reason. I picked on people like you for a reason to empower you with values and objectives and practices that will statistically increase your chance and your power to empower others to empower others. Sure. Wow. Yeah. What do you think, you know, what, you, t- you talked about how, you know, right out of law school, you were a millionaire and you bought your mom the house. At what point did it kind of, you know, snap where you were like, you know, none of this really matters. And it, this, you know, this life goal became important to you. You know, I got three, three different things in my life kind of woke me to the unhappiness. The first was when I was 30. I was a multimillionaire running the uh, world's first smartphone division at Samsung. They didn't call, in 1999, they didn't call them smartphones. Uh, Sam and Arthur look at least old enough to remember. They were called convergence devices. There's you know, flip phones and it was the very pre-chasm of the uh, internet and, and, and phone business. But at that point, my dad gave me my first warning 
uh, about money and the relationship that I had with it. He uh, sent me the first birthday present I got in 20 years from him. I put on, it was a sport coat. I was crying because I thought, gosh, like every son, I wanted to reconcile with my father. He had left when I was five, was kind of a deadbeat dad, wasn't really around. He had forgotten my birthday when I was 10 and lied to me. And I you know, literally thought my dad was a liar, a cheater, manipulator, overseller, and back-end seller. But anyway, I put on the jacket. I couldn't believe, I was so excited to reconcile with my dad. I opened the jacket up to see what it said, you know, especially made for David's 30th birthday. He had torn out all the pockets. I immediately was enraged. I called him. I said, Dad, why are you punishing me? I haven't heard 20 years you haven't given me a birthday present. Now you give me one I can't wear. And he said, David, it's not for wearing. I said, what do you mean it's not for wearing? He said, David, it's to remind you every day, hanging in your closet, that you can't take anything with you when you're gone. I want you to be buried in that jacket. I wanted to remind you, you're not gonna be the richest man in the cemetery. You're just like me when I was 30 years old. Money does not buy happiness. Mm. I need you to learn the lesson. I wish I would have learned it when I was 30 and I wasn't ready to hear it. So I told him, F you, I hate you. You're a liar, a cheater, manipulator, overseller, but I, nothing like you and I hung up. Six years later, the, another incident happened that you know, kind of shifted my par paradigm. My friend Rob, uh, who actually I've known since the fourth grade, I knew my wife since the fourth grade as well. In fact, Rob asked my wife at sixth grade camp for me to go steady. And he, he embarrassed me in front of everyone because she said, no, tell him to ask me himself. And he yelled out in front of everyone, dude, she said no. <sighs> so I threw an egg at my wife in the sixth grade, hit her in the back of the head. It took me years and years and years to even be able to have a conversation with my wife because she hated me and was afraid of me. But Rob was my best friend and I took him golfing. I was running Lee Steinberg Sports and Entertainment. Most people know from the movie Jerry Maguire. I had access to everything, Burke. Anything I wanted, I had access to. I could afford whatever I wanted. I owned a ski mountain. I had a, a golf course. I was surrounded by the greatest celebrities, athletes, entertainers, billionaires, millionaires, entrepreneurs. Sure. I invited Rob to the Masters with me. And it's the best sporting event ever created. It's the one that never disappoints. And I said, Rob, come to the Masters. We'll fly private. Curtis Strange invited us to go to the cabins. I have all these celebrities, Wayne Gretzky, Joe Montana, Warren Moon, want to hang out with us. We'll go to the NetJet parties. It'll be an amazing thing. He looked at me and he said, not a chance. Like, Rob, what do you mean not a chance? I've worked so hard to get this into my life. I want to share it with you. He said, Dave, I don't like who you hang out with and I don't like what you're doing. And I said, come on, Rob, I'm not doing what those guys are doing. And he said, David, you can lie to me, but don't lie to yourself. I don't want any part of it. I went home crying. I was, it was the first time I realized that for over a decade, everybody was telling me, yes, there's a wonderful book out there. Don't take yes for an answer. I was basically fallen into the trap of entitlement and ego and not even realized it. Two weeks later, my life would change forever. I lied to my wife. Uh, I went to the Grammy Awards with Little John. She had told me not to go, uh, told me that I wasn't paying attention to my family, my work, and I was partying way too much. So I told her I needed to work, change clothes in the car. But I came home 5.30 in the morning, completely wasted. And my wife, for the first time, was waiting there and told me she wasn't happy, told me she was going to leave me. She told me I better take stock in who I was and what I wanted to become 
or I was going to end up dead. Mm. I wish I would have told you like at that minute, I would have understood what she was talking about, but instead I had such an ego and need to be right, offended, resentful, guilty. I screamed at her. Are you kidding me? Who do you think you are? Look around you. Look at the cars we have, the house, the boats, the everything. I was screaming. See, I'm like, oh, you'll, you'll see. And I went to my room and I woke up in the morning ready to call a lawyer to get divorced, you know, a friend from law school. And there was that jacket. I'll never forget looking over. That jacket was staring at me. I get choked up thinking about it because I remember specifically looking at it and saying to myself, you know what? You don't hate your father. You don't hate your wife. You hate yourself and you hate your life. You are a liar. You are a cheater. You're a manipulator, an overseller, and a back-end seller. You need to take stock in who you are. She's right. And so I sat there the whole day learning and regaining my gratitude, my forgiveness, my accountability, trying to find the motivation to be inspired, to live a fulfilled, passionate, purposeful, and profitable life. And I was able over the last 15 years to turn my life around. I stayed married, have four children now, not three. Uh, and most importantly, I realized that I don't live in the world of not enough. I don't live in that world of just enough, but I live in a world of more than enough that everything comes through me, not to me or for me, through me for others. I am here from nowhere to now here to give my life away. And that's why I'm on this show. That's why I'm here today. And that's how I'm going to empower over a billion people to be happy by giving my life away. That's awesome. Wow. That's a, couldn't get more of a complete answer than that. Thank you. <laughs> And then we have five minutes. So let's just touch on our last question. I think that's a fun question. And I'm going to ask, uh, Sam has a good, has a good answer for this. So I'll ask and Sam will answer it. And then maybe if you could just touch on it, David. Sure. And then, uh, and then we'll wrap things up real quick. So just Sam real quick, just in, you know, a couple sentences, what, what do you think, or what do you know, makes somebody like, you know, obviously David's a sports fan with the, with all the memorabilia back there. What makes somebody, you know, like Tiger Woods or Tom Brady excel when others don't? Well, I'm very, very impressed at your background. And uh, I'm kind of surprised why you would come on here for, for us. We're still brand new. Uh, probably not. I am surprised and not surprised. But I spent my life in search of one thing. You know, what makes people do what they do? I don't have a, uh, a list of, I don't have a lot of uh, acquaintances or friends. I have a few. I'd like you, you know, and uh, I'm, I basically was on one mission and I, it took me most of my life to find it and I found it. But I know now what makes people do what they do. I know what makes a Tiger Woods uh, as opposed to someone else or, or uh, you know, Michael Jordan. I think he, I always considered him to be there. I'm not deep into athletics. Now, if you want to buy athletics, my son would want to meet you. He loves athletics. That's, he lives it. Okay. You can ask him anything and he would know. But, you know, Michael Jordan, I remember watching that last game that he played, and there was no doubt in anybody's mind in the whole world that he was going to win. And he, you know, he had the last couple minutes, I don't know, like five minutes, three minutes, whatever it was. You know, the other team throwing the ball, they threw it away, they picked it up, and he turned it around. But why did he do that? Because he knew he could. Why did Joe Green? I remember I was a big Steeler fan in, in years ago, and Joe Green might be the best defensive end that ever played. But I remember Joe Green. I remember him well. I, I followed him passionately. And, uh, you know, one time he lined up offsides three times in a row. 
uh, you could see clearly he was in the, in the neutral zone. You know what I'm thinking? What are you doing that for? They interviewed him at the end of the, uh, you know, when he they won that day, and and he said, I, I figured the sooner or later the referee would get it right. He actually said that he intimidated the referees. Well, Joe Green was just Joe Green. He knew he was going to win, and that's the way he was. And so, why is there a Joe Green, and then every, there's everybody else, or why is there a Tiger Woods and everybody else? And it comes down really down to one simple reason, okay? What you believe you make true in your life. What you believe you make true in your life. Napoleon Hill wrote a book, 1937, Think and Grow Rich. I, I read Favorite it book. many times. I became uh, a total student of Napoleon Hill. Anything he ever wrote, or I never met him, died before I ever met him. But everything he ever wrote or talked about, his tapes, I got it all. And I listened to him, and there was that one central theme, you know, what the mind can't conceive and believe it can achieve. I couldn't make it work. I don't have a background like you. I have a modest background. I couldn't make it work, but I knew it was right. So I said, and he said, it's up to his readers to pick up the challenge where he left off, and I did. And now I know why, and, and I'm making it work now for myself, and I'm making it work for others. Uh, I, I, I literally cracked the code on behavior. It's a science to me now. And the, the most important piece is whatever you believe you make true. Beliefs are limitations. There is no such thing as a good belief. There's only facts and lies. Beliefs are lies. As I listened to you, somewhere along the way, you had what I, I was in politics too for a while. Yeah, I do have a diverse background. But in politics, we would say people have a come to Jesus meeting, okay? It wasn't, it wasn't meant spiritually. It was meant, you know, you got scared. Okay, well, somewhere along the way, you had a come-to-Jesus meeting in your life. Uh, you are a very evolved uh, person, and uh, I, I'm, I can pick that out. I'm, uh, I'd like to get to know you much better and, and uh, become friends with you. you uh, but somewhere along the way, you had that, I, I guess, you know, your, the coat. You talked about the coat. You talked about your friend, and you talked about your wife. Well, what happened to you somewhere along the way is you, you, you got touched, you know, and you, you, made a, you made a decision. Actually, that happened to me, too, when I was in my early 30s. I was, I was going crazy. But it only happens once in a while to very few people. So what I want to do is show people you don't have to wait for a crisis like that. You can literally think your way to that. And that's what I'm really trying to perfect right now. I, you know, I spent millions of dollars getting this program together with my own money. And, and I like to get some of it back, but about, about six, three or six months ago, I said, you know what, it's going to be more important to me to give this away than the money. I can make money in my other business. I'm doing all reasonably well. You know, I'm doing well. We're going to do even better. But I want to give it away. I don't want it to die with me. So that's, that's why we, you know, we have the non, I was going to try to make money selling the sales trading and take that money, throw it into the nonprofit, and then it would grow. And I said, the hell with that. Yeah. Okay. So I've said, I am going to give it away. If I never make a dime, I want to give it away. And that's and when I did that, I felt so much better and comfortable. So uh, anyway, I, I guess I'm going to be on your podcast, right? Yes, sir. And I can't wait. And I, uh, I'm going to say the same thing because that's all there is. I mean, it is so doggone simple now. It, it's so simple. You you figured it out. And I can see you figured it out. But, you know, I, I, I got it all quantified now. There's a program. And that's what we want to give away. So I'm sure you're going to, we're going to work together for that. So uh, I'm in 100% harmony. Very impressed with you. Yeah, well, <laughs> Very impressed. Very we, imp we, we base our lives on the same text. So I still read yeah. 
Napoleon Hill every single day. Every day, okay. I, I read a lesson from Napoleon Hill. I work, my first book that I wrote, which I'll send to you, Connected to Goodness, I took to the Napoleon Hill Foundation and I said, I want to write a book like Think and Grow Rich, a modern day Think and Grow Rich from my journey, my principles, the things that I've learned to make it more modernized from Carnegie days in the, in the biggest minds. And my podcast too, The Playbook is based off of Napoleon Hill. Uh, just real quick, Bert, because I know I got a couple minutes. Um, those people that carry a higher frequency, the Michael Jordans, the Tiger Woods, the Tom Brady's, they have one common denominator, uh, the ability to enjoy the consistent everyday, persistent without quit, pursuit of their own potential. They don't listen to what other people think. They don't believe in what's missing, what they shouldn't have, what they couldn't have, or what other people want for them. They believe in and have a desire that they must be what they can be. And they're willing to put the work in, not just think about it. They're willing to put the actual work in. I call it the law of Goya. You know, everyone in the spiritual world talk about the law of attraction. I sit on the Transformational Leadership Council. I love the law of attraction, but it doesn't work without the law of Goya, which is get off your ass. You know, you, you get off your ass. You got to make it happen and you got to have a desire to make it happen. And Tom Brady, Michael Jordan, Tiger Woods, they not only have the desire that they must be what they can be, but they have the law of Goya because they're consistent and persistent in the pursuit of their greatness. They didn't just sit around to be great and they believed in what they wanted for themselves, what nobody else. So, uh, Sam, I look forward to having you on my podcast. You're going to love it. Burke, Arthur, thank you so much. Most importantly, everyone, be kind to your future self. Do good deeds. It's that easy. I, I second that. Thank you, David. Thanks for your Thanks time. Thanks a lot. I'm very impressed. Congratulations, guys. Look forward to listening to this. Let me know how I can be of service. Thank you. Take care. Have a great day. Okay. You too. Bye-bye. Bye now. And there he goes. Thank you, everybody, for listening to another episode of the Think to Win podcast. This was a great one today. Uh, thank you, David, again, for coming on. And Sam will be on David's show uh, in, in about a month. In March, he'll be on the show. And uh, we invite you to check that out and check out David's social media. Uh, and check us out, if you'd like, on our Facebook at Think More, React Less, our Instagram also at Think More, React Less, our website at thinkmore-reactless.com. Thank you very much for listening and have a wonderful day. Goodbye. Thank you.